Hello everyone, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen in the sad finale of 90s action November, Janine. It's the very end. What are we going to do? Sad. So sad. We've jumped into we've Christmas. Had such but a good time. It's been so fun. It's been totally fun. <laughs> we ha it has. We've had such a good time. And you are right. We we are jumping right into Christmas next week. It's holiday season, as it always is, yes. on, you know, both shows, as we always like to do here on It's a Wonderful Podcast. But we do have one special movie to talk about today, to, to round out 90s action uh, November. Janine, a movie you have been wanting me to watch for an awfully long time. Yes, uh, this movie is always touted as a film that came out before its time, but it was really working with some fun ideas um, that people just weren't ready for or didn't quite understand just how really smart stuff like this was in film, this self-referential kind of meta now that we, now we call it, kind of commentary on a, a specific genre. So uh, yeah, this movie has since found an audience, but when it came out, it just did not resonate with people and so i was really curious to see uh your thoughts on a film that you know is very much everything you think of when you think of 90s action but also very much making fun of itself in the genre and doing some smart things as well so i was really really excited to have you watch this movie and see your feelings on it <laughs> yes well you will be getting exactly that because this is Last Action Hero from 1993. John McTiernan, great action yeah. director. Director. But mm -hmm. he is, um, directs this Last Action Hero. And Arnold Schwarzenegger takes center stage this week. It's almost as though we've been building up. Yes. Action star to action star. You know, over the course of this whole series, we... Started fairly uniquely with Thelma and Louise in what yeah. is more of a, a kind of chase movie than anything else. Um, maybe not action in, in its in its purest form. A great yeah. movie, Some drama that started mm -hmm. us off. Um, certainly, I think the most probably the most serious movie as well that we've uh, done this whole series. If you actually think about it, it's probably the one with the most emotional impact, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Probably. Then, you know, we, we, we started on our big action names after that. Started with Harrison Ford. A good action name, yes, in, mm -hmm. in his own in this era, unique yeah, way. particularly. Mm -hmm. Moving into Bruce Willis, yes, okay. You know, good, good solid action name there, plenty. And then moves up another level last week to Stallone. <laughs> Stallone. And then, is this you telling the world that you consider... Arnold to be the top of the pedestal. I mean, of I would. Stars. I would have to say yes. He's definitely an actor who had some unique challenges in terms of getting into film, um, and he brilliantly worked with what he had and knew what he was good at and really played into his strength. Um, I saw this interview with him on Conan. He was talking about um, his book that he, I think he has coming out. And he talked about, you know, he doesn't like when people call him a self-made man because 
he acknowledges just how much help he got in terms of learning English and, and finding directors and producers and studios who would work with him and, you know, work with his thick accent and this long name and, and see something in him that could really be this big star, this big action star, because I think a, he, his name is constantly used when you talk about the, the death of the movie star kind of thing, because, you know, nowadays we talk about, you know, a movie that we're going to go see based off of the title for most, for most cases uh where all the franchise it's connected yes but in 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 the case of arnold's heyday we were like the new schwarzenegger movie you know yes it it was his name that was branding the movies that we would see um and you don't feel like you get a lot of that anymore so i would definitely put him at the peak i definitely think he found his niche and found what he was good at and really worked within that and grew as an actor in, in, in a lot of ways and, and yeah. did a lot of creative things. And I love the fact that he's able to make fun of himself and make fun of, you know, his career and his, and his success and, and, you know, really play into the tropes of the genre that he is so well known for um, and that he helped really popularize in the nineties. So this movie I think is a great culmination film of everything we've seen up to this point um, to tie everything together since it's this all encompassing kind of uh, satirical look at the genre of nineties action. So. Yes. Is is it is it Arnold Schwarzenegger's version of the unbearable weight of massive talent? I mean, kind of. Kind of. I mean, it's not as out of an out in the real world Arnold is that. No. But no. I think it's kind of like the opposite almost of that. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Yeah. It's I think it's a very, very interesting movie, a very clever movie. You say years ahead of its time too early perhaps to be as respected as it, it should have been at the time but yeah. has since grown to be but i think we always need movies um of any kind to 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 try and push those boundaries and usually the first ones that do push those boundaries aren't well thought of at the time but they grow to become very well thought of because of the influence they have on all this stuff that came after it. And we know what it has been like in the last, particularly, I would say, 20 years, 15 years of self-referential movies that are well aware of their own ideas, their own tropes, their own jo- the, the genres they're playing. And I think horror obviously does this probably more prevalently than anybody else. Yeah, I mean... Or any other of, genre. Yeah, but I mean, think of something like uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. He was doing that yeah. in a commentary that, you know, the actors playing themselves, referencing their roles, and that playing into the world of the movies and all of that in a brilliant way. Yeah, and, and that film didn't do very well because it again no. just before its time, people not really understanding that type of humor or concept or or you know satirical look at something so familiar. Uh, but then it's... he does it a few years later with Scream, and now people are kind of ready for that. It makes sense to people, and it's lauded as this intelligent, thoughtful thing that breaks the mold of what we're used to. 
So but it's strange, you know. really, it's strange, really, because putting it in context of those other movies as well, Last Action Heroes 93, I think New Nightmares 94, 94. and Screams 96. Yeah. yeah. Now, Screams almost Wes Craven's more palatable version of, of self-referential, which yeah. it, whereas it, it's actually not real people playing themselves or playing no. theatricalized versions of themselves or anything like that that you do also get in Last Action Hero very much. So you are getting people playing essentially themselves or their own characters within movies and you are transported into a world of movies and then yes, back through. Yes. And it's all this kind of stuff. Scream very much should have been the first one if you consider it by exactly how self-referential it is yes like every character in screen was basically like danny being fully aware of other forms of media and, and and being able to relate what is happening to them in their current situation to the horror genre i don't think there really had been a horror movie that really mentioned other horror movies and were self-aware about tropes of the genre like scream was no so, but then you get you get ones further from that that are more like something like New Nightmare or Last Action Hero that we're talking about, that is very much people being aware they're in a movie. Yeah. Which, you know, is taking it to that next level that, you know, as we've said, people weren't ready for in the early mid-90s. And I don't think they were ready for in the late 90s, which is why I think Scream did work, because it wasn't that. Yeah. It was the step before. Yes, it was yeah. that mm -hmm. it was that more palatable area. Yes, yeah. Um, because it is a very out there concept what we're dealing with in Last Action Hero. Um, you've had plenty of, I think you've had, you've had comedy movies before this that are aware of, I think, their own tropes and aware of certain legacy for some reason hollywood shuffle comes into my mind yeah as just a movie that i think is so aware of you know its own place in history and what you know obviously that movie is about the history of, of black performers in hollywood that's the entire yeah. point of that movie and that movie is well aware of each different stage of that going into yeah. where they're at in in the late 80s so it's 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 referential in that way, but Last Action Hero takes a genuine take itself seriously story with a beginning, middle, and an end and a complete through line, making the story itself so key to what's going on. It is just a movie that can be watched while having everything around it being be be self-referential, be this layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of knowledge base of, of exactly what's going on because you're dealing with a kid traveling into an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger's character who then comes back into the real world and meets Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. Yeah. 
while being played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Yes, it's so many levels and layers that I think it was just too much for people at the time to really comprehend or understand just how brilliant this movie was being played out. Um, obviously, one of the writers on this, Shane Black, who, you know, he, he he's definitely had some hits and misses, but I think creatively, he's always trying to do something interesting um, and definitely and, and, and different than what we've seen before so knowing that he's one of the contributors to this and someone who who ha was in and wrote and worked with arnold in one of kind of the big action movies with predator that does does all the things that this movie does um yeah. you know i think he was a, a fitting choice to be one of the uh creators behind this story and, and really also directed what it by could be. john mctiernan as well yes Yes. So uh, the fact that they got these people who know this genre, who know those tropes and aren't afraid to kind of laugh at themselves um, was great. I mean, we open this movie in a Jack Slater movie, like the movie yes. opens and it's the Jack Slater movie, which I think is brilliant because we're and it feels like an Just action movie, movie you've seen before. <laughs> yes. You know, it it opens with this big standoff all these cops pointing their guns at this building, the sergeant, you know, a big angry black man shouting all these things. Why, why is a police angry. sergeant always a big angry mustachioed black man? I don't know. I mean, that's just the look, the look that works, the look that sells, you know, when you're, you're thinking about a character like this, um, which I think is really funny. Uh, and him just going off and barking orders. And then here comes the, the cowboy boots. We just see the cowboy boots walking on top of the police cars <laughs> to get to right. the front of the situation. Uh, pans up and here we have Arnold as Jack Slater, the big old gun sergeant telling him not to go in there. Basically like the whole scenario that uh, Sylvester Stallone was going through last week, going in guns blazing one man show without backup. And the same yeah. thing that his sergeant, who is the sergeant <laughs> in Lethal Weapon movies, yelling at him for going in on his own without backup <laughs> and that whole thing. So the fact that this situation is kind of spoofing something we just kind of saw uh, just really immediately sells you that, yes, these movies do the same things. And the fact that this movie is fully aware of that is so great. Yeah. And this is I think this has always been the strength of of Arnold to me is his ability to, to be genuinely comedic as well and fully aware of himself he yeah. doesn't he's never took himself too seriously I and mean, even with his you know with what he went into with his political career yeah. as well and all that kind of stuff he has always come across as a very very open kind of at times silly person but very genuine yeah he is fully aware or fully able to be comedic when he needs to be. And I think we saw the limit to Stallone's level of doing that last week with Demolition Man. He's able to yeah. be tongue-in-cheek, able to be a little bit like that, but doesn't quite have the comedy action career that Arnold does. Yeah. 
because I just think there is something, whether it's a, a charisma thing, whether it's just a, it's obviously larger than life thing with Arnold, or even just the fact that he is, he isn't American. Yet he's in these inherently American American films. Yes. And you kind of forget the accent and it just organically becomes a part of this character, no matter what he's doing. You know, there's never any word or mention of him being Austrian. You just go with this accent. No one questions it. It's just him, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So there is that sort of take you out of the movie aspect to Arnold that makes you enjoy his movies even more makes you enjoy him even more which is why i think this movie is particularly great because it really is as you've said a culmination of arnold movies and the nature of them the nature of the the 90s action movie the overblown 90s action movie that is made fun of in this movie and that is ripped apart and rearranged and you know it's like going to a, a, a hipster cafe and getting um a burger that's been you know or what do they call it d de- what do they call it what do they call like it when you've had that done? deconstructed that's the word i was trying yeah. to think of yeah it's like a, it's like a deconstructed action movie yeah a deconstructed <laughs> burger in a hipster cafe it's the exact same kind of thing yeah. last action hero and everybody in here seems to just be having so much fun with the concept yeah, of this movie being in on the joke yeah that i i had an awfully lot of fun watching this movie <laughs> because when you're in the jack slater movie you are invested in the jack slater movie Right? You know, when Danny the Kid gets sucked into that movie, you're just happy to be now on on a narrative in a movie with just somebody that That is is you aware of what's going to happen. Yeah. Might be you, yes, okay, but you know, he's reasonably aware of what might happen in this because I've seen these movies before, so I know what's going to happen. But you're still invested then in that movie. Then later on, the movie becomes something completely else when we are transported back into the real world, Danny's world, who was sucked into the movie, when Arnold as Jack Slater comes into our world with the real Arnold Schwarzenegger there. Yeah. And it's... I enjoy the fact that it becomes that other thing because I think it... It needed to. And it almost took me off guard even because I think I was so genuinely invested in the story of the Jack Slater movie that we spend the majority of Last Action Hero in. Yeah. You know, that narrative and just people being confused about how and why Danny the kid knows all this. Yes. And we're also, you know, wrapped up in plot armor with our character, never really worrying for any kind of safety issues or anything. No. Um, so I do love the also what comes with Jack Slater going into the real world is this um 
crisis of character that kind of happens with him and the realization that things don't work the same. Um, so I like also that aspect, the fact that he's in a world where Arnold Schwarzenegger actually exists and lives, um, but also the fact that he ends up kind of having uh, this realization of the differences, you know, and yeah. he's not really protected in this world. Um, is you know, really he, he can feel thing. pain and things like that. Yes, and, and we'll get more into that in a little bit. But um, yeah, we completely open this film with the Jack Slater movie and this whole big set piece of going into this building to save a bunch of children who are, you know, captured and being held hostage by our villain. Um, and one of the hostages that the villain, the Ripper, is actually holding is Jack's young son um, and holding him hostage with an axe. So, you know, we set up this really sinister villain, this great action set piece, and we're like all in invested in this. Um, we get a little bit of comedy play when the Ripper asks Jack to, you know, disarm himself and, you know, he puts down his one gun and then another gun and a gun in his boot and then the knife in his sleeve and like he drops down all of these weapons uh, only for him to pull out a grenade and roll the grenade over to him. And, you know, we get this great set piece of, you know, the grenade really having a knife and Jack's son knows this and grabs the grenade, stabs him. Uh, then we get this like 3D shot of the axe coming to the <laughs> to the screen, and then it goes blurry. And then we're like, "Wait, why is it blurry?" And then we come out of the movie world into this kid Danny watching the movie. Yeah, um, so just it's a, a great really... way to open mm -hmm. the movie. Yeah. It, yeah, it lets you know the the levels that we're going to be playing with. Yeah, in this movie and. At no point does it ever become too much either. I'd like to just say that it, it never feels too confusing or too out there. And perhaps, as we've said, it did for people at the time because it wasn't something people were used to seeing in, in any movie. Yeah, really, this this level of of referential layering. But I think, to an extent, we're we're more used to it now. Um, yeah. I think so many movies have done similar things now. Few as well, to be honest with you. Few have done it quite as cleanly as I think Last Action Hero yeah. really does do it. And using so many little visual gags as well. Yes. It really does use. And all these tiny little cameos you get. Yes, with some of them not even having any dialogue. It's like, what kind of favors did you have to call in just to have uh, Sharon Stone just appear in this film for two seconds, lighting a cigarette, walking out of the police station in her all-white uh, basic instinct outfit, or Robert Patrick just to walk by in his right. police outfit from Terminator 2. Like, get Danny DeVito, you know... Uh, a common co-star of Arnold to uh, voice the cartoon cop cat in the in the film uh, reference that nobody that nobody in the Jack Slater movie bats an eyelid at because yes, Danny's really confused. He's like, he says to them, "This is a movie. You do realize you're in a movie, right? You're a you you're fiction. You're in a movie. There's an animated cat over there." And Arnold and, and, and the, the chief are just like, like, he's one of my yeah, best he's a great, agent. Cop, he's, he's one a of my best agent. guys. What are, you, what are you complaining about? He comes in every day. He's fine. He's great. He's a good man. He's a good cat. 
Yes. Um, and then even at the premiere, getting a bunch of tiny little random cameos. Um, you know, Van Damme's there and uh, Damon Wayans and Chevy Chase almost get knocked over by Danny yeah. and uh, MC Hammer uh, stopping Jack Slater thinking it's Arnold asking, oh, are we? am I going to be on the yes. Jack Slater 5 soundtrack? Like <laughs> so many little interesting, yeah. fun little things happening. Um, other fun little references to other action films. Um, there's a scene where um, our villain has kidnapped Danny, has captured, has like, Danny and Slater's daughter like held hostage. Um, it's a whole big action set piece that happens. Uh, they get back to um, the daughter's uh, apartment and they see that the villain played by Charles Dance left his glass eye there. And the cop that picks up the glass eye to examine it is a, a guy who appeared in two different Die Hard movies. He was like one of kind of the uh cops one of the few cops that had like a few speaking lines in die hard yeah. and die hard with a vengeance so just to have you know this small bit of familiar face action movie casting just popping up uh, a cop gets blown into a tree and his dying breath he talks about how he was two days from retirement and we get a bit of a uh murtaugh kind of musical sting <laughs> that yeah. happens it's, it's, you know <laughs> there is there are there are not only little reference jokes yeah. to other Arnold movies. There's even a very obvious joke in, in a in a video rental store where uh, Stallone is on a big standee poster playing yeah. Terminator. Yes, and Arnold saying, oh yeah, he was great in that movie. Like, <laughs> that was his best what? performance. Yes, even a fun little reference of F. Murray Abraham's own career in the fact right. that, you know, to Amadeus and talking about how he killed <laughs> Every time F. Murray Abraham comes into this movie, Danny just mentions about how he killed Mozart. Yes, that movie won all these Oscars. Like <laughs> Everybody around is just shrugging what? the shoulders Mo looking who? at him going, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is what's he called? Mr. Practice, who is just in the police what, what do you mean he killed Mozart it doesn't make yes, any sense but, but it's this really funny cue to Danny that like this guy is so good at playing a villain I don't trust him immediately yeah right and he turns out to be right so um, just so many fun visual gags that you mentioned just throughout and it, it just like a feast for the eyes of fans of of this genre for sure yeah because um, there and, is plenty of those jokes like i said not just with other arnold movies but with other action movies like you said with die hard kind of reference jokes and lethal weapon reference jokes yes they reference you know um you should check that guy and make sure he's dead because like any lethal weapon you see that guy hanging there and you think he's dead but no he comes back at the end you know so very much a feast for the eyes like a, a movie that lends itself so well to rewatchability because you can go back yes. and comb over it and find so many fun little nods and things happening um that are just kind of a love letter and also just kind of a, a self-aware kind of joke uh yeah. at at the genre so um danny 
set him up. We set him up with this kid who's kind of a loner. The movies are kind of an escape for him, which is a relatable to a lot of kids, which I think is a great thing to put to instill with the character. Um, his mother's a widow. She has to work all the time. So she leaves him alone. I like that they set up a really good dynamic between the two of them. You yeah. know, she know she knows that he, you know, skips school to go to the movies and you know, and, and, and it's more out of a sense of worry for her because it, they're in New York and they don't live in a good area and there's lots of crime. And um, but he can be, you know, he can talk to her and and she doesn't, you know, just bark at him. She, it's 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 it all feels like it comes from a place of concern and he understands that. And so they have a really good relationship, I think, which I think was a nice addition to the film as well to just set up this character before we get into him actually jumping into the world of of Jack Slater. Um, he has this friendship with the guy who runs this theater, you know, this theater that seemingly at one point in time was this beautiful, you know, ornate uh, movie palace. Movie palace, yes. And and now it's all dilapidated and covered in graffiti and you know falling apart. And um, the owner Nick is friends with Danny, and uh, they talk about movies, and you know th they have this little friendship between the two of them so nick tells uh danny that hey you know i'm getting a screener for the new jack slater movie coming out so if you come by at midnight i'll screen it for you like private screening so obviously danny's all in um he comes to the screening and he is given a ticket a, a golden ticket as it were uh, by Nick, he says, you know, Houdini did a show here years ago, and this is like a legacy theater thing. So, you know, it, it's falling apart. It does no business, but you can tell that Nick is holding on to this because it's this family legacy thing for him. Yeah. His father got him a job there. He was an usher. He had all these jobs there. And so, you know, it's important to him, this place. Well, um, ultimately, I think cinemas should be like this place anyway. Uh, I, I would rather see movie you know movie theaters cinemas that actually look like theaters yes i think that that adds so much to the vibe and the ambiance of of what you're going to do it's this big cinematic journey this adventure this you're going to the theater you're excited to go there it feels like a treat so um you know i have a local theater in town who does like five dollar movies and just you know getting whatever little bit they can you know selling concessions and showing old movies there to raise money so they can repair it and build it back to and restore it to what it was and it has the old kind of red velvety seats and the curtains yeah. hanging and all the ornate details and it's it's looks kind of beat up and a little bit falling apart but you can tell that you know this is a place that it's should be preserved there. yes and i'm watching old movies that i've seen a hundred times but seeing it in this place just made it feel that much more magical so yeah i love kind of the essence of this place and why why danny would want to go there all the time so he shows up for this screening the special screening of the new jack slater movie and um, i'm already like trying to stop myself from saying jack ryan so if i do just oh, I you know. know roll your eyes at me uh, um I, I, I can understand why it's not it's not jack ryan we can forget about yeah jack, jack ryan jack reacher like i'm really None trying to think through it's later it's later um and he 
he says, well, if you want to get in this movie, you got to have a ticket. And he shows him this gold ticket that he got his, his, you know, when he was a kid, Houdini played there once at that theater. And his father took him backstage to see Houdini and Houdini gave him this magical ticket and said it had magical powers and all of these things. And Nick loved magic, wanted to be a magician. So he said he never had the guts to even test out if this ticket worked because he didn't want to learn that Houdini was maybe a fake. So he just held on to this ticket. But, you know, he likes Danny. It's this big movie he's going to show him. So he gives Danny the ticket and makes it this kind of special experience for him. They rip the gold ticket. And that's what the magic awakens this whole kind of situation. It does. And, you know, Danny gets brought in to Jack Slater Fall. Yes. Helps Jack. In, in in that movie's situation. And ultimately, Jack Slater 4, as the movie within the movie, is a run-of-the-mill action movie. There's absolutely nothing overly special about it at all. No, However, same we're watching be... Last Action Hero. So yeah. there is the input of you have a character in there that knows what's going to happen. You are also dealing with people, I think, within the Jack Slater world who like I said before I just kind of love loving being in this kind of movie and allow themselves to go that little step further into you could say hamminess I mean speaking of ham ham and hamminess and apparently where the term hamming comes from is hamlet Yes. People going um, playing Hamlet. Apparently, that's where the term comes from. Because you're just being over dramatic and over the top with the performance. Exactly. Yeah. There is a, a, a phenomenal <laughs> spoofy <laughs> Hamlet yes. trailer. Yes, because Danny goes to school. He's in class, and the teacher's talking about Hamlet being like the first, you know, action superstar, and trying to like sell it in this vein for these kids who love. Which you know, I I, I understand what yeah. the English teacher's coming from. To be honest yes, with you, I like yeah. the, I like the reading of Hamlet being the first action star or yes. the first action hero. Yes, and so they do play a clip from the Laurence Olivier Hamlet, and. Danny goes off daydreaming about Arnold as Hamlet. And so it's very much like in that style, but he's smoking cigars and he has machine guns, but the lighting is very, you know, gothic and, uh, you know, washed out. Yes, but it's Arnold being quippy um, and blowing guys away and like the great to be or not to be not to be and then blows up the castle (laughs) i want to say he was on an episode of graham norton with dame judy dench and and graham norton was trying to get judy dench to 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 recite some shakespeare because you know okay she's known for that and all that so he got her to um say a a poem or whatever from shakespeare and everyone, of course, loved it. So great. I think I've seen this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then he was, and then I think he would turn to Arnold and said, oh, you also had some history doing a little bit of Shakespeare <laughs> in a movie as well, Arnold. And he's like, oh, yeah, my movie Last Action Hero. We have this whole little Hamlet segment. And he like, said, talks about that scene where he says, to be or not to be, not to be, even blows place up. And everyone laughs. Perfect. And it's great. Um, so I love that he was able to kind of tell that little bit 
next to you know Shakespearean. Yeah. <laughs> probably sat there shaking her head going. <laughs> I if it was if it was Maggie Smith, she'd probably be shaking her head. But I think Judy Smith Dennis has a much better movie. sense of humor than <laughs> Maggie Smith um, would have slapped him about. Yes, and she would have rolled her eyes learning that her, her friend uh, Ian was also in this movie. Yes. Yes, um, he is, because he, 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 Ian McKellen does come into this movie later on in a wonderful role that I love yes, deeply again. Which for this. me, I think it was years that I really, even realized that was Ian McKellen, because like when I first saw it, obviously I don't really know who he is. And then when I watched it in later years and having seen him in other things, I was like, oh my god, that was Ian McKellen, what? As death, looming death. And he was perfect as that, you know, so. He kind of um, is right. You would, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily put him in that role but in the, especially in this time of work. his career i mean i think now he's he's more open to doing kind of silly fun things and has a great sense of humor but i wouldn't have pictured him this early in his career having as much of that kind of silliness to do like a funny movie like this you know no he's 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 still very much very much just shakespeare 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 at yeah this yes so the fact that he would do this i was like okay ian that's great it's so fun just adding another layer of fun things to see in this film um, but i suppose when you need a, an actor of a certain uh stoic gravitas to come in and play the embodiment of death from the seventh seal from Ingmar bergman's the seventh seal you can't obviously get the dude who did play death in yeah. the same deal. Um, Ian McKellen is not a bad substitute in this movie because he, he does have, and I think he, he always has had and retains, a certain larger-than-life. It's like, like Arnold, in a yeah. way, a certain larger-than-life. In his, in his field. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's... A grandfather to everybody. So to have, I think, death be embodied who by we now me. view yeah. as a, a kind of grumpy grandfather. That I think we do view Ian McKellen as a bit of a grumpy grandfather. Yeah, more grumpy grandfather. Yes, yes. Is is really is really very interesting. It somehow really does work and you see Ian McKellen um later on come out of of the, the, the film yes and so the um, way they've superimposed out. him in this scene with Max von Sydow and it looks like it's actually coming out of this movie like great yeah. effects work I think for you know 93 it looked great um really good yes so um the ticket has been ripped Danny's watching the movie again. They kind of suck us into the movie. You know, we see the the crazy explosion of opening credits. We're zooming in. We got our big rock song coming in, very much. You know, the titles, and then we are in the movie again, watching it like like that's just what's on our screen. Um, and the whole plot of this one is uh, Jack's favorite cousin gets kidnapped and questioned and killed by our villain, um, who's kind of this fumbly dope of a mob boss played by Anthony Quinn. <laughs> and yeah. you wouldn't um, expect him playing a fumbly dope of a mob boss, really. Yes, who who is like somebody who doesn't quite understand terminology because of an, a language barrier, perhaps. So he says 
quotes and and you know uh kind of lines wrong uh and to the chagrin of his uh kind of hired assassin played by charles dance who is constantly like correcting him under his breath and calling him an idiot you know quietly in the corner um as a very intimidating kind of scary figure with this glass eye that he has different variations of which i like giving him this very cartoonish character trait that kind of just you know to to make him unique and scary so I'm fascinated by these two villains because they are ultimately not just the two villains of the Jack Slater movie. They're the two villains of Last Action Hero itself, the actual movie we're watching. So to have, I mean, particularly Charles Dance, but Anthony Quinn's such a weird person to have in this movie. Again, why is he playing somebody that just seems so stupid really as a villain and it's anthony quinn a a, a great old actor <laughs> yeah who's in phenomenal movies and has such power and presence and poise and, and ability yet he's in a little bit of a silly movie that last action yeah. hero ultimately is a smartly silly movie yes but it, it's just it makes you appreciate, I think, what this movie does much more than it's actually has yeah. these certain individuals in it. And yeah. Charles Dance, I mean, this is madness from Charles Dance. <laughs> what he, I mean, he is properly hamming everything up in this movie. He yes, particularly, yes, particularly the realization that he comes to. I mentioned Jack Slater having his own realization and coming into the real world, but how he just plays with his realization coming into the real world. He's in gritty, grimy, the ghettos and bad areas of New York, um, you know, where hobos are getting their shoes stolen and shot and killed and nobody cares. And in seeing this, um, you know, a young girl offers her body to him and like his first question is, how old are you? <laughs> Which I loved <laughs> that he was like yes. self-aware, not incredibly creepy, even being the villain to ask her her age. <laughs> like, good job, Charles <laughs> Well done, Charles. <laughs> yes, for not being a creep um, in that aspect. Um, and so, you know, him realizing that he could just get away with crime here. No sirens, nobody cares. So the fact that he goes and shoots a guy and he's just in the street, I've just killed a man and I've done it on purpose. <laughs> and then someone, uh, excuse someone, me, I've just murdered, murdered somebody on then, purpose. Yes, and like somebody yells, shut up, guy. <laughs> like, just telling him to be quiet. And so then he comes to this realization that, oh this might work out for me here because ultimately he gets fed up with once he, he learns about the ticket and once he learns about the ticket, he has no longer has any use for dim witted Anthony Quinn. So he disposes of him and decides to use this ticket to come into the real world. And now this really kind of brilliant scheme of recruiting other movie villain characters to kind of recruit as his team. I would have loved to see like a whole movie about this almost like, you know, I think Shane Black subconsciously playing into some monster squad vibes as he wrote that film as well. Mm. Um, This underlying idea. So I would have loved to see kind of this spinoff movie that he gets away and, you know, a sequel it had this movie been a huge hit, I'm sure they maybe would have found a way to bring him back and have 
something like this happened because I think that would have been really fun getting Dracula and Freddy Krueger and all of these characters that he talks I mean, about in his big monologue um, to come back. You could, and you could consider it a rights nightmare, yeah, to get all these kind of things. But yeah, in a way, it reminds me of the Lego Batman movie. Oh that yeah, was able to have Batman fight against Voldemort. Yes, Be- because it was all in Lego. It yeah. was fine. Yes, it all worked. Um, and uh, I think what Sauron was. Well, Sauron was in that. King Kong was in that. Yeah. Um, um I think Shark from Jaws was in that. <laughs> all these famous movie. Villains, villains coming so together so yeah I, I feel like maybe there was a subconscious monster squad a vibe happening of you know bringing together all these kind of titan ideas of movie villains um so i it's love a bit it that's different just... yeah it's a bit different to what uh nick the projectionist guy at the cinema wants to do with he, when he discovers that his actual magic ticket, ticket is worked. actually a magic yes, ticket. He would he want to do what Morgan go. would want to do. He wants to do exactly what Morgan would want to do, which is why I wanted to bring it up, and he wants to just go into all the old movies and say hello to everybody. Say hello to Greta Garbo. And, it's all he you wants know, to do. All the great female actresses who had crushes on and things. Um so I'm not I necessarily love... going for that reason. No, well, I'm but just... to go to, into these old movies that he loved, yes. So very much what Morgan would do. I might um, do a little bit of that reason. <laughs> yes, and just gushing a little bit. Um, so yeah, that was Nick's idea for the ticket. But ultimately, Charles Danza's plan is to... He, he gets the Ripper character from the third Jack Slater movie. Yeah to come back and kill Arnold. And if he kills Arnold, then that kills Jack Slater. And then once Jack Slater... actual Arnold. Yes. And so then once Jack Slater is out of his way, then he would recruit all of the kind of other movie villains with the the ticket and and form this kind of squad to take over the real world. Um, Can I just mention as well, I think it's a great running gag that Jack Slater can't remember what Arnold Schwarzenegger's name is and keeps calling him Arnold Braunschweiger. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which so I good. just think is great. Yes. Um there's loads of running gags. There's loads Yes, and of even, you know, obviously to pick out. Yes, and obviously this was a time when he was still married to Maria Shriver, so I love that she's yes. telling him, please just don't plug the restaurants or the gyms. It's so tacky. Because obviously, you know, he had the whole Planet Hollywood situation, which was a fun fact I did not bring up last week, was that the uh, Stallone encased in the, like, frozen fluid, there were, like, three of those made, and he actually put one of those in display from Demolition Man in uh, one of the Planet Hollywoods. (laughs) Okay. So we did actually have three founding members of Planet Hollywood on our on our uh, little watching list as Bruce Willis, Stallone, and Arnold were three of the kind of founding members of this restaurant chain. But um, I had genuinely (laughs) no idea that was true. Yes. Um, So, yeah, one of those uh, Stallone frozen uh, from Demolition Man was displayed in one of the Planet Hollywood restaurants at one point in time. Yes. Um, 
So yeah, I love that Maria's telling him, please just don't, don't mention the restaurants. And then we see him later mentioning the restaurants and we're in the background. And the, yes, and to her the and to the news people. Yes, and her in the background, just like and those were actually real news reporters. One of them, I can't remember his name. I remember he was did a lot of like MTV news. And I think maybe the other one's like Nancy O'Dell or something. It was like Entertainment Tonight or something. So they're actually like real news people as well, like entertainment news well, yeah, they people. Would, yeah. But yeah, they would have to get real news people because this is the real world. Yeah. And they've had all these other cameos. So it yeah. would only make total sense. sense. It, it, yeah. it, it fits in with the reality that the movie's crafting for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just so impressed that it did it so cleanly. Yes. And I was so impressed that it did it so well and took time to bring those fictional characters back in to our actual real world, have them interact with our real world and go through their own mentalities about our real world in discovering that they're actual fictional characters. Yes, but I mean, even when Danny is in, gets transported, he like ends up uh, a stick of dynamite, like the key starts working and a stick of dynamite that Jack is throwing in this big chase after his cousin is killed, the house blows up and now he's in this big chase with the guys who work for Anthony Quinn. Um, and uh, a big stick of dynamite is thrown at his car. He ends up being able to shoot the stick of dynamite away from him. The ticket makes it come through the screen. Danny sees it, runs away. It blows up, and now he's in Jack Slater's car. Um, yeah. And 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 also, like Jack really is not incredibly phased by Danny showing up in no. his car. Like he doesn't understand it, but he continues on with this fight. He tells him, "Okay, we'll just buckle up and like." And ends up, and, and you know, this whole realization of Danny being in this world and trying to figure out what's going on and and him being so self-aware of what's happening and having to explain it to Jack and Jack not not believing him. And I, I love the, you know, I'll be back kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, he, and this whole thing of Jack trying to say lines that he doesn't expect, he should try to trick Danny and be like, oh, you didn't expect me to say that. And he's like, actually, people kind of wait for you to say that in every movie you do. It's just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it's only a matter of time before you say that. It's it's become like a trope at this point. So I, I love all of these kind of fun things like that when he's, uh, the chief is yelling at him and there's like steam coming <laughs> The chief's ear and he's just saying stuff and it's just all this mumbling shouting and it's completely incoherent and they don't even know what he's saying at a certain point um or even danny calling out this relationship that you know i love that you guys fight and you know but there's actually a lot of love there and you guys are like best friends you know yeah chief when your wife ran off with like a circuit circus midget or something he says um and uh, Jack told everybody it was, you know, because of something else and he covered for you. And, you know, you after that, he you said that you loved him and that he was your best friend. <laughs> like the chief was like, I thought the she wasn't going to tell anybody about that. <laughs> the chief is very shocked at this point. Yes, no, yeah. it is. It's I mean, it, it, it doesn't quite fall along the kind of lines of being an action comedy to me yeah. because i think it's too genuine to be an action comedy it's while it has all these references they're not then they never come across as spoofy i don't think 
I still feel the movie retains a certain... It's groundedness in the worlds that they're in. So if you're in this Jack Slater world, it plays really well to all those rules. And Danny is kind of us giving our perspective. And yeah. I love characters like that. That's why I love Winston so much in the Ghostbusters, because he gets to be our perspective coming into this weird situation and really just looking at everything and trying to just make it through and understand what the hell is happening. So I love Danny being that character to do that. And then ultimately his bond with Jack comes in when him knowing kind of how things work and him getting to see things that Jack isn't aware of them actually working together to solve this crime. And then Jack kind of actually confiding in him talking about, you know, I wish my daughter would be more like a normal teenager. You know, my ex-wife, she's happily married. She never really calls me or checks in with me because he has this running gag where his ex-wife calls him nagging him all the time. But he's like, no, like that doesn't really happen. That's my friend that I paid to just call me. And so people think I have a social life outside of this place, you know, um, I wish, you know, my life was different. So Jack really showing some human characteristics in terms of his life really not being what, you know, you would see if you're just watching him in the movie and showing this other side of this fictional character. So I love that that relationship is fleshed out in the movie world and where we don't have to wait until the real world to flesh out this character so that when he does come into the real world and um, Nick is talking to him, oh, you must be so excited to be in this real world. And Jack is like, no, I'm really stressed out and kind of sad that I learned that I'm this fictional character and nothing I do really seems to matter because I'm just this imaginary fictional thing. The life that I've built and my ex-wife and my daughter and my son dying and the trauma I have to live with because later we see, because that was when the scene went blurry in the beginning. We didn't see what happened um, when Jack ended up defeating the Ripper. The, he shot him. The Ripper's falling off the back of the the, the roof and he pulls Jack's son with him. Yeah. So, you know, Jack's talking about, you know, me losing my son and feeling guilty about that. Oh, that doesn't matter because I'm just this imaginary thing. So I love him having this character crisis and, and really humanizing this fictional character and making him not feel like a character being played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, making him feel like his own character. They do a lot of that. And I like that they take the time to establish that in the movie world and not just waiting until let's make this character feel real in the real world. No, we were already making him feel real and starting this bond with Danny in the movie world. And then it's only fleshed out that much more, even when, you know, he meets uh, Danny's mom and the, him and the mom stay up all night talking and, and talking about Danny and, and really, you know, and he's like, wow, it's really nice. Like actually talking to a woman. I've never done that before. And the uh, funny, it takes you back to the joke of like, all the women are like incredibly gorgeous and sexy in the movie world. Cause like, there's no like regular looking everyday women in this world. Um, so just so many really smart choices. And I love that they took the time to flesh out the character of Jack Slater early on enough so that when we're into the real world with him, he, he feels real and we really can separate him from Arnold. So when we see them together, they do feel like two different people. A hundred percent. I can't say any more than that the the love you clearly have <laughs> for last action hero is thoroughly coming across and I, I i i love that a lot because i i did have such a good time with it and just to add one tiny little thing onto what you have just said yes the character crisis that jack slater has in the real world might seem like he he doesn't know 
what his purpose is. Yeah. But he's able to then, when he's when he's transported back, ultimately, villains are defeated and what have you. But he's transported back. He becomes very secure in the fact that I, I'm a, none of this that that none of this matters. Yeah. He becomes very secure in the fact that he is a fictional character, and that ultimately, his entire life is being dictated by other people. So. I'm just going to sit here and let enjoy it and let it. Yes. And also a really kind of sad moment as well. When um, now they're finding themselves realizing, okay, Charles dances in this world. We have to stop him. Whatever he's trying to do, we have to try to find him. And Jack is trying to do all of the things he would normally do to try to find him with, with Danny just kind of telling him, no, that's not going to work. The things don't work like this here. And and Jack just saying to him, so you believed in me in the screen, on the movie screen. Why don't you believe in me now? Yeah. And, and Danny just kind of, you know, stays quiet. And and it's, you know, so just this really human moment right there with, with this character that, you know, is almost kind of a bit cartoonish because he's, you know, in this fictional world and overblown and, you know, protected by, you know, plot armor because he's the hero of the movie. Um and now, you know, getting hurt and injured and emotionally hurt. Um, and Danny seemingly, you know, now that he's in the real world, Danny's lost all faith in him. Like, you know, so so feeling kind of some hurt from that. Um, and then, you know, it feels like this last set piece kind of going into the premiere would feel like attacked on, like it's going on too long. But I think it actually works. I, I you know, I, I know you kind of mentioned that to me when before we started the show that, you know, you got that feeling as well. Yeah, it it does. It's it's odd because I always tend to view as as I think I've previously said on episodes in this series, prejudging nineties action movies to be twenty minutes too long all the time and to yeah. be overblown. And again, I find myself in a situation with Last Action Hero where there is twenty minutes at the end of the movie that is all this coming. They kind of keep going. going. Yeah. That is all this coming back into the real world and going back into mm -hmm. the fictional world and all this business. Yet, this additional layer that is added onto it with that, I found myself thinking that exact same thing in The Fugitive, I think. There was an additional layer added for the last 20 minutes to the mystery. Yeah. That actually made it work. Yeah. Rather than it just usually being oh, let's throw one last action set piece in there. Yeah. It's like, no, there's genuine meaning behind for this. both yeah. what was in The Fugitive and in Last Action Hero for this last 20 minutes. Takes it over a two hour, I think it's like two hours. Two hours and 10 minutes. Like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a horrible length of movie and I hate it. <laughs> but it works here, I, I think. I, but it worked here because I am, I am of the, you know, I am of the, the school of 90 minutes or three hours and nothing in between. Uh, by 90 minutes, I mean like <laughs> 90 to an hour and 45. Yes, and then, yes, yes. And then nothing, nothing until you get to like two hours 50. And, and anything in between those, we don't make movies like that. Obviously, it's a bit <laughs> of a joke. But my... I, I think there's reason I feel like that. And I think there's reason I feel like that towards 90s action movies, because it is usually 
just that one extra action set piece that really, 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 really doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And I just did not feel like it was tacked on in Last Action Hero. I felt like it was integral to yeah. what the movie was actually trying to do, the kind of ideas the movie was actually trying to play with. And it really wouldn't have been the movie it is without it. Yeah. And it's strange because before that last 20 minutes, obviously, is when you kind of finish with the Jack Slater movie. So it does kind of feel like an end, really, doesn't it? You are at yeah. ultimately the end point of the Jack Slater movie when they all discover there's a magic cinema ticket. Yes, and like you get this whole ending with the Ripper that feels very much and plays out very much like the first scene we saw with the Jack Slater movie and the Ripper finale there. And then it continues on with the real villain coming in with Charles Dance then kind of playing into that. So that could feel very tacked on, but I think it plays really nicely with what this movie has been doing throughout and the parallels it's trying to make, you know, um, and building up our obviously we're building up you know the ripper is just a uh appetizer to you know charles dance and his ultimate yeah. kind of scheme and plan and and his kind of brilliance as well playing into danny thinking he knows everything and now jack thinking he knows a little bit more because of danny um when he thinks he's out of bullets and jack saying hey um <laughs> you forgot to reload the gun that you have to do that here he's like no i just left one one uh cartridge empty so uh and he had another bullet and shoots jack and it's this whole okay you know you think he might be kind of dumb in this moment but no he's actually kind of being smart so uh i think we needed that extra kind of double villain finale to really kind yeah. of circle back to some things and, and tie everything up really nicely and that is then a situation of jack slater looking like he's actually in in serious health trouble because he's yes just been he's been shot, shot in the in chest the real world yeah and it's a rush back to get to you know the ticket portal again yes to, to get him so back into his world so it's nothing's the matter with him yeah and so that ultimately is what happens um the grim reaper character is sucked out of the movie comes to the two of them uh, says yeah. you don't die yeah. yet. <laughs> yes, he he says Jack Slater doesn't appear on any of his lists, obviously because he's not a real person. But Danny does, and he tells Danny, "Oh no, you'll die as a grandpa," and then kind of skulks away. But he also tells to which him, I would say to the Grim Reaper, "Wait, not as a great grandfather." Oh. Yeah, give him give him at least that. Um, but then he also kind of tells him, well, I thought you'd be smarter than this. You know there's another half of that ticket you can use, right? Because Nick ripped the ticket, put one ticket in the little box office, and the other yeah. one Charles Dance had. So he remembers, gets the ticket, sends him back to his real world, does or his world, doesn't want to say goodbye. So there's this very kind of emotional goodbye between the two of them. Danny goes back to his world, and he's like, you know, you'll see me on the screen. I'll be here you know, whenever you want to see me kind of thing. So it's really sweet. Yeah. And, yeah. But ultimately, they've got a magic cinema ticket now, so they can just go into any movie they want, right? I mean, technically, so. So if he wants to go back to Jack Slater, he can just do he it. Could. 
he could visit and say hey and then Jack Slater just kind of content with the, the state of the world he's in and knows what he is and hey. you know it is has found a way to enjoy that and you know has been enriched in some way by meeting Danny and just these really fun layers of things really fun feast for the eyes of fans of just movies generally particularly 90s action um you know there was a little et nod in there <laughs> so well um i picked up on so um I when danny picked up on an et nod when danny was uh, got the bike and he's like trying to play chicken with the car he's like i'm a good guy so i'll survive this game of chicken with charles dance's car um but then he's like no i'm the plucky like comic sidekick no i won't be saved and he like swerves out of the car and like ramps up onto a roof of a house and is like his bike oh, is in the moonlight on the loud. roof of the house okay. yeah yeah so um oh, you know he's fun references throughout so definitely just watch it again and again to pick up on all kinds of fun little things happening there so smart like I can only imagine how if this movie was a success in its time, we got like a franchise or a sequel or some really cool things coming out of this because it was so smart and so fun. Yeah. So definitely a good it's... way to close out this series. I I I definitely think so. A a very warm movie, very heartwarming yeah. movie, uh, a movie that is tonally wonderful. Where it, it yeah. just it it doesn't take itself seriously at all yet takes itself so seriously so it doesn't become a spoof yeah there's nothing yeah. wrong with spoof movies there's some wonderful spoof movies out there yeah but you've got to then hit the line of that and this yeah. movie this never movie wants definitely. to hit the line yeah. of that so yeah. it doesn't go that far it, and it makes sure it never goes that far it yeah. stays grounded in its own heart while having all this fun surrounding it yeah it's it's a really wonderful movie to watch i think and very very unique i can't say i've come across an action movie that does what this does quite like this you know yeah i i, I, I really don't think i have Yay. i think every other action every i mean every other kind of big action movie of, of this sort of style is just is what it is you know i can't think of another one that has a, a self-referential meta nature to it yeah um so unique place in the genre's history i suppose Yay. the last action hero does have and it is called last action hero it's not called yeah, the last the action last action hero, hero. yeah it is, it is just last action, action hero. hero. Yeah. Well, now that we have reached the end of our series yes. on 90s action movie November, we always, oh, you always like to try and finagle a <laughs> ranking out of me, don't you? Yes. So I definitely want to hear your rankings, but I want to do a little bit of fun, a uh, little some extra to help maybe add to your decision making uh okay. you know 90s action movies are known for their really creative or corny taglines so i right. will tell you the taglines to these movies and see if they help you in your decision making in terms of the ranking so <laughs> what do i have to guess what is this trivia no do I have to guess no no trivia which? i will tell you the taglines for these movies and see you know depending on how good the tagline is will that play into your 
you know. I mean, okay. They give an extra point to your movie depending on where you put it. So you might put one a little bit higher because they had a really fun creative tagline. Okay. Interesting. Thelma Louise's tagline was, somebody said, get a life. So they did. Nice. Uh, The Fugitive. A murdered wife. A one-armed man. An obsessed detective. The chase begins. (laughs) The fifth element. There is no future without it. Ow. Boo. (laughs) Um, Demolition Man. The future isn't big enough for the both of them. And last section here was the only one who didn't have a tagline on its actual poster. So I just had to look up their taglines and there are five. So Okay. Well, he's what's mean. the best one? Okay. Mm. I don't know. The don't big t- five taglines. The big ticket of ninety-three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, hmm. okay, so ranking systems, ranking systems. Yes. Ranking (laughs) systems. Fifth element at five. Uh, Oh, okay. Did go without saying, though, didn't it? And the tagline didn't save it at all. It was very bland. The tagline was poor. Um, (laughs) Not that the tagline has anything to do with the quality of the movie. Because I decided this ranking before we even started this episode so i have it in my head now that this is what we do at the end of morgan hasn't seen series so i just come up with it okay and i don't tell you fifth element at five okay now it gets tough because they're all really movies I, I I vibed with. They're all movies I very much enjoyed. He's got Morgan to say vibe. To... Morgan Morgan doesn't like to say vibe. So the fact that he said vibed with. Like, I do like really, to say really... vibe. I just say too often. <laughs> I never hear I you say like vibe. I say, yeah, I use it all the time. So um... I definitely say vibe on, on the shows a lot. And I don't like to, which is why I try and stop myself from doing it. <laughs> Um, it's it's very tough. Okay, it's very very tough. They are so different from each other. However, number one is clear because okay. that's demolition. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's exciting. Which I mean, right. which means I think number two has to be the fugitive. Okay. And then it's probably this at three and Thelma and Louise at four. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there there would... is there there is a gap then to get to the fifth element. I, I don't know what it is about fifth element. I just okay. I, I wasn't it feeling it as much. Okay, okay. I need Fair to point. feel it. I don't know why I expected you to put Thelma and Louise closer to the top, just because it maybe leaned more into drama. Um, well, Thelma, Lu- yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. I think I've got to put this in context of '90s action movies. Okay, and like I, we only really put it because I really wanted to have something female-led, and I think any other action that was really predominantly that played into what these other films played into that had females, we've already done or talked about. You know, the long kiss goodnight would have been the number one pick for that, okay. but. Um, we did a watch along of that, so it's already been seen. 
Um, and, you know, I thought about The Net with Sandra Bullock, but that felt very much like a similar vibe to The Fugitive. So I didn't pick that. Um, you know, Look, so. Yeah. Thelma and Louise is a wonderful movie. Wonderful, wonderful movie. It's not a better 90s action movie than those three in my mind. Okay, fair. But fair. it's a far better meaningful crime drama than those three. <laughs> yes, yes. It's the best meaningful crime drama of anything <laughs> on this list, you know? Yeah. I just have to put it in context. So, yes, okay. those, those are the rankings. All right. Fifth, fifth in fifth. Um, Thelma and Louise. Okay. Action hero, last action hero, third, fugitive, demolition. Wow, I'm really impressed. The demolition Man is demolition. number one. So I was not cool. expecting that at all. Yay! So you like this? There's there's movies that you tend to think that I'm not going to like that I end up liking. Then there's yes. movies that you think I will like that I do like. There, then there's movies not as much, that you think yeah. I might not like and then don't like. I just think there is there is a good chunk, and it's usually I think because you judge me to be some sort of self serious person. <laughs> it's usually it's like, when a movie's a little like bit silly, yeah, and a little bit fun and tongue in cheek that Demolition Man was that you think oh he's not going to like this because it's not the seventh seal as we've just seen in last episode. <laughs> or Action the Hero. fugitive very serious and, you know. no the fugitive was very serious yeah but i don't know why you think this because <laughs> you've known me for how long now yeah you've done yes. these shows for how long now and you still think i'm not fun i'm i did not think you were gonna like it i just did not expect it to be your number one i will say that i just think i think it is I think it. I think it really, really was. And everything I was, everything I would want in a '90s action movie, as well as actually taking itself seriously yeah. in terms of what it wanted All to right. say. But there we go. Yes, this was Me. so fun. This is a fun it series. It really, really was. It really was. There we go for '90s action November. On Morgan hasn't seen it. Has been enormous fun. It really has. It is not the only show we have on this podcast feed, of course. We do have It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, every Friday, celebrating old movies. We have, if I've got the... Oh, no, we don't. I've not got the dates right. We had our last episode <laughs> yeah. of Noir-vember last Friday. Last week, yeah. On it's a wonderful podcast. We will be moving into holiday season all December long on both shows, as we always like to on It's a Wonderful Podcast as well. Um, but find the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe wherever you do get your podcasts. If you're on Spotify, uh, answer those little questions that I put there. And if you are other places or on Spotify as well, leave your ratings and your reviews and those kind of stuff. Um, if you would uh, like to support us on Patreon, or donate in any way. There are links in the description of this episode to do that. You can also find the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe, ding your notification bells over there. And, of course, find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at The Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E and the because, you name. Three is the magic number. On Instagram, threads, and TikTok at The Purple Dawn. All your... 
action hero stuff is where. <laughs> you can find me at Janine DeBean underscore on Twitter, Janine DeBean on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the description for the link or search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art in print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. Oh no. Here it comes. Here it comes. Now. Well, what else is it going to be? I mean, come on. I'm not even going to say it because you just know exactly what I want. (laughs) We've been building up to here all month long, as we spoke about. We've we've gone action star to action star, layer to layer, uh, fourth, third, second, first. And you said he was the best and deserves to be on. Doesn't mean I can do that voice, but you could do it in a jokey get to the chopper way. Oh my god. Okay. Three, two, one, get to the chopper. No. Bye. Bye.